and welcome to our first ever episode of Our Threatened Species, a podcast in which we do what, Katie? We talk about the threatened species, I think the clues in the title, Sam. Of? Of the British Isles, the British Isles. And Katie, today you've... I have no idea what species today's episode is about. No. But um, you've come with... clued up with some facts and you're going to quiz me and I will guess what today's episode is about which species yeah i thought it would be fun because everyone loves organized fun right That's, <laughs> so okay so i've got the fact sheet in front of me from the british something preservation society and you'll find out what the something is when you guess what the animal is because that will give it away so um the scientific name is Aranaceous europus i have no idea so far no guesses give me a guess one go on is it a toad it's not a toad um but Okay, next clue. They live in a wide range of habitats in both urban and rural situations. Um, a butterfly? No. Um, they're absent from large conifer plantations in marshes and moorlands, but their populations are increasing in urban gardens. Um, Any guesses? No. No? Okay. Okay, they eat a lot of invertebrates like worms and beetles and slugs. You're talking about a hedgehog, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to... Well, one of the first facts that's on the page is that they have about 6,000 banded spines on them, but I thought that would give the game away, so I kept that one um, until the end. I thought you wouldn't get it. <laughs> you wouldn't get it. So, well done. You got it. It's a hedgehog. Thank you. Right, so today's episode is about hedgehogs. They are, and they're actually one of my favourite species, so I'm quite excited about this. That's why we started with them. I agree. Hedgehogs are really cute, in fairness. But why are they one of your favourite species? Well, I just have a really nice memory of a hedgehog when I was a child. I remember being in my grandma's garden and there was a hedgehog out in the day. And at the time, my grandma had a dog, so she had a lot of dog food spare. So she left some out for the hedgehog to eat and we watched it eat this dog food right in front of us. I just thought it was really special to see one just in person rather than on TV. And I just the memory stuck with me ever since. I just always thought that they were just the best. That's really cool that you've seen one in the wild alive. I never have. Um, but I hear you've spoken to an expert, so let's jump straight into it. We have an absolutely brilliant guest to kickstart our first podcast. He's the spokesperson for the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. He's an ecologist, a writer, and the world's only hedgehog stand-up comedian. Well, comedy about hedgehogs, he isn't the hedgehog himself. Anyway, he's written five fantastic books and runs courses on hedgehog conservation. And so we thought he'd be the perfect person to talk to us today and to teach us about the wonderful prickly species that are hedgehogs. So without further ado, welcome our guest, Hugh Warwick. How are you? Uh, doing all right. Yes, yes. A slightly, um, um, slightly bleary start to the day. My last day of having to control two children, uh, being at home, um, being educated from home. I'm hoping uh, from next week at least one of them will go back, and uh, and I'm 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 then going to spend a morning just in bed because I can't at the moment because I'm it look bad when I'm trying to make them stay uh, on task um, doing their education. I can't really just go. You know what? I've had enough. I'm going to go to bed. Uh, so so no, this is I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, yeah, I imagine you spend all day trying to get them off the TV and then when they leave, you're right back watching the same programs that they were. <laughs> oh, you've <met> my children. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, well, I'm probably exactly the same as them. I'm sure my dad would say that. Um, but anyway, today we're here to talk about hedgehogs. And I know that recently there have been a few petitions floating around that you've been involved in. And I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about what the petitions are about and how you've been involved. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it is just well timed. Yesterday, I um, I dropped a note through to uh, Chris Packham because uh, we've got a, uh, a petition through the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. Now, one of my hats is, is I'm a spokesperson for the BHPS, and uh, we launched a petition um, calling for a shift in the level of protection given to the hedgehog in the UK at the moment. Um, the Wildlife and Countryside Act it has a number of schedules within it, and hedgehog is Schedule Six. Uh, we would like to see the hedgehog raised to schedule five. Um, and so to do this, we, we've got one of those .gov petitions. It's uh, so quite a formal thing. And when you get to 10,000 signatories, uh, the government has to respond. And they responded by going, nah, we're not interested. Um, and then when you get to 100,000 uh, signatures, uh, there has to be a debate in parliament. And we're at about 84,000 now. We were at 82,000 yesterday. Anyway, so I, I dropped, just dropped a note to, to Chris Packham. And it's one of those things when you do, uh, well, when I do social media, it may be different for you, um, and, and you sort of put out a tweet and you suddenly go, I've done it. I'm famous. People are actually responding. And then you discover that somebody like Chris has retweeted it. And you go, oh, yeah, that's why. It's nothing to do with me. But so the knowledge that when somebody like that uh, um, is, is willing to help, you can make a big change. So, uh, yeah, he then put out a tweet on our behalf and it um, did, did manage to shift things enormously. And, um, and that was lovely. But it's not the only petition I'm involved with because um, two years ago now, I was, in, I was approached by change.org, uh, the online petition uh, group. And they just they said, we, hedgehogs are obviously ace. You know, everyone loves hedgehogs. And um, would you like to raise a petition calling for something to help hedgehogs? You know, how would you get hedgehogs back to their former glory? And um, I was like, this is fantastic. Okay, great. So let's have a petition calling for the dismantling of industrial capitalism and the replacing of it with something nicer. Uh, and that's when they said no. Um, and so we, we you know, back and forward a little bit. And um, in the end, what I launched a petition calling for was that all, uh, all new housing developments had to come with hedgehog highways in place, little hedgehog holes, holes and offences. Um, you've got a new development coming in. I, I'm not having the discussion about whether that development needs to be in that particular place, whether it's needed at all, um, or whether it's just some um, slightly dubious deal done between local authorities and the government. Yeah, I don't know. But if it has to be built, then let's at least make sure there are hedgehog holes at the bottom of the fence, because the big issue hedgehogs face is um, habitat fragmentation, the chopping of their landscape up. Uh, and I thought it was a bit of a trivial ask, but, but they sold it to me saying, when you do an update, um, um, every time you write an update for it, it goes out to everybody who signed it. So imagine 10,000 people sign it. Yeah, that's 10,000 people. Yeah, how many people read your blog normally? They said, rather meanly. So when we got to 100,000, I was getting quite excited. When we got to half a million signatures, I ended up having a meeting with the housing minister and uh, one of the top developers in the, the, the also one of the top developers in the country. Um, and uh, then in July 20. 19. Yes, if you take your mind back to then, there was a brief moment which you may have remembered thinking, politics can't get worse. And then you know, that priapic marshmallow moved into number 10. And just at that moment of transition, um, uh, we had a bunch of ministers doing their last things because they knew they were going to lose their jobs or be shifted off. And James Brokenshire was the, the Secretary of State, and he announced that the National Planning Policy Framework, 
bit of a niche document. It goes out to all of the uh, local authorities around the country, and it describes to them what they can and cannot ask for. And and in that national planning policy framework, um, he inserted a new bit of guidance saying that all new developments should come with uh, swift bricks and hedgehog highways. But it was only guidance and no teeth attached to it. So I've maintained the petition. We're currently at 900 and... What is it, about 980-something thousand? No, 970,000, that's it. 970,000. So only 30,000 away from a million. Uh, and then, yeah, I just I basically want to get to a million and then um, then have a holiday um, or something. That'd be nice. I need a rest. Uh, but no, so, so two petitions ongoing. And, and this is interesting because I, I actually a, a bit averse to the idea of collectivism, a bit averse to the idea of, oh, we've done our bit for hedgehogs because we've signed a petition. You know, I want people out there making holes and fences. I want people out there, you know, sitting in front of bulldozers, stopping developments which are happening in inappropriate places. I want people out there doing the field work, doing the citizen science projects. But actually, you know what? We can do collectivism too. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. Um, So why is it so important then that we actually protect these hedgehogs and how do they benefit the greater landscape? Or you got so close to going for the anthropocentric view of hedgehog conservation. Um, I have a, a, I have a slide specially set up for people like you, uh, but you didn't quite go there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is an interesting thing. People do ask me this regularly. It's like, well, why the hedgehog? It's not like they are an ecosystem engineer, like a beaver. Uh, yeah, it's not like they are crucial to the pollinating efforts uh, for all of our fruit. Um, yeah, so they don't quite meet up there with the solitary bees and the bumblebees. Um, and uh, you know, if if hedgehogs were to vanish overnight, uh, there probably wouldn't be a dramatic physical change to our environment. However, um, the hedgehog is a vitally crucial, a vitally important um, species, and what it in part is the simple thing. This is a generalist species. Okay, it has. Um, if you think about some of the things which are more uh, sort of famously threatened, I, I, like great crested newts or or dormice or whatever, they've got very specific. Uh, requirements. And and you know that those requirements need to be met if they're going to survive. The hedgehog, it can cope with a lot of different things. Our species of hedgehog uh, ranges all the way from the west coast of Ireland to about the Czech Republic, uh, Norway. Um, well, actually, and it appears in, in, in um, um, uh, New Zealand as well, but that's another story. So we have... Um, we have this, ability, this animal, which has got a very good ability to cope with lots of different environments. We also have an animal, which is the nation's favorite wild animal. Every time there's a vote or a poll, the hedgehog wins. There's no question about it. I know there's a bunch of ornithologists who are going to throw their hands in the air and say, but what about our birds? Who gives a toss about the birds? I'm sorry, Stuart and others who may feel strongly about this. Um, hedgehogs just talk to us in some way differently to all other wildlife in this country. And so every time yeah, the hedgehog wins. So we've got our favorite species. We've got a generalist species, which doesn't have one particular habitat, which is being um, um, affected. Um, and we've got a population decline. I mean, the, the, the estimate, and this isn't a robust scientific estimate, is between a 90 and 95% reduction in hedgehog numbers since the end of the Second World War. And this is why it's important. Because if the hedgehog, you know, the most charismatic of our wildlife, the one we love the most, is suffering such staggering population declines. What's happening for all the stuff that we really don't care about? All the stuff which the hedgehog actually needs to thrive. Maybe you know, the absence of um, um, you know, the macroinvertebrates that the hedgehog feeds on. Maybe that's part of it too. It's, it's giving us a warning. And that's why it's so crucial that we pay attention to the hedgehog. 
Definitely. Yeah. Um, but talking about the declines, what do you think is actually causing it then? Do you think it could be population increase and then more building works or do you think it could be something else? Well, the, 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 the decline is not a single thing. I mean, there's a number of issues which play into it. And especially if you look at the, the distribution of, of declines, um, at the moment in, uh, the most recent data set we've got, which unfortunately is about to be replaced in about five months time. And I don't have the new data yet, but, uh, so, so it runs up to 2018 and that shows that from the year 2000 to 2018, uh, urban hedgehog down is down by about 30% and rural hedgehogs down by 50%. Um, the urban hedgehog population has kind of leveled off. Um, but the rural hedgehog, uh, they're in free fall still. So, uh, there are sort of two different sets of problems really at play there. Rural hedgehogs, it's a combination of, um, uh, loss of habitat, loss of food and, uh, competition and predation. So the loss of habitat is obviously Obvious um, um, industrial um, agriculture it removes habitat from hedgehogs, uh, but also the, the hedgerows, which are the, the highways through the landscape um, you know, of the remaining hedgerows that are there. And we're already 300,000 kilometers down on peak hedge. Um, 60% of the remaining hedgerows are in very poor condition. Um, and, and most of the rest are not managed with wildlife in mind. So we've got loss of habitat and uh, um, a loss of ability to move through the landscape. Loss of food. I mean, the, the, uh, it's well rehearsed now, the massive impact on macroinvertebrate uh, um, biodiversity and biomass, uh, um, which has been impacted by uh, industrial agriculture. Um, Professor Dave Goulson, definitely worth having a chat with him. Uh, his work on bumblebees is famous, but he also has done a review of the amount of agrochemical applied to average crops. And it's a 17 different uh, biocides um, uh, which are applied to, to, to your average crop. I mean, not 17 trips out in a tractor, but um, they have tank mixes. Um, and, and the thing is, for the farmer, they need to remove competition to be able to um, um, ensure they can make a profit. And yeah, this isn't farmer bashing, that's the economics of it. Um, but the competition, unfortunately, turns out to be hedgehog food, toad food, bat food, bird food. Yeah, um, uh, the, the, the farmland bird surveys done by the um, British Trust for Ornithology is over 60% down since the 1970s, farmland birds. You know, this is not what hedgehogs are doing is revealing a wider problem because people are paying attention to it. So, and on top of that, and we cannot escape it. Um, if you increase the numbers of badges in an area, you decrease the numbers of hedgehogs. Um, there are some ecologically illiterate people who jump up and down with foam flecked mouths, screaming, saying, we've got to kill badges. We've got to kill badges. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a reasonable reaction, uh, to do that. Um, Badgers and hedgehogs have coexisted for, for thousands of years. Um, what's happened is something has changed. And, and we now understand their relationship is one which is known as an asymmetric intra-guild predatory relationship. It's one where they are in the same ecological guild, um, eating the same food, competing for the same food, so macroinvertebrates. Um, badgers are simply better at it. Uh, they can dig, whereas hedgehogs can just scratch the surface. Um, and badgers are also omnivorous, um, so they're much more omnivorous. So they, they can feast on maize and on berries and things and uh, help gain um, extra calorific points from that as well. Um, and the, the um, 
Um, the hedgehog, yeah, it's much more focused on those macroinvertebrates. So our understanding is their relationship is one purely of competition until the wider ecosystem is degraded and then it shifts from being one of competition to one of predation. On top of that, the badgers fragment the landscape. They get in the way. Uh, an active badger set or a latrine down a hedgerow will cause a radio tract hedgehog to get as far as that turnaround and come back again, restricting the hedgehogs into what the, the literature refers to as rural refugia, otherwise known as villages. Um, so the uh, rural hedgehogs have one set of problems. The urban hedgehogs uh, themselves, again, it's down to fragmentation um, and habitat loss. We, we, we pave over, we put in astroturf, we, we you know, deck our gardens, and we lose space for hedgehogs. Uh, but also, you know, we have fences which prevent the hedgehogs moving through the landscape throw into the mix of this busy roads, uh, a whole bunch of problems. So it, in terms of turning it around, and so I work with the People's Trust for Endangered Species as well, and we have a campaign called Hedgehog Street. It's not a simple thing. We can ask for people to make holes in their fences to let hedgehogs in, but it has to be part of a mix. It has to be part of a wider landscape change. Hedgehogs need far, far greater space to move than we possibly think. So you mentioned hedges as well. Um, why are hedgerows so important for hedgehogs? Okay, so the hedgehog is, well, the name is a bit of a giveaway, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a bit, actually, yeah. <laughs> they, they hog the hedges. But also, I mean, the, the hedgehog is a woodland edge specialist, so, so pre-us. Um, you would find the hedgehogs uh, um, on the edge of woodland, in, in, by the glades, uh, within woodland, where trees had fallen down, where you'd got that uh, sort of liminal space between and the darker woodland and forest and the, the more open space. Um, and what happened with the emergence of agriculture, certainly in the Bronze Age, you got the first uh, um, evidence um, of, of field margins being created, um, stone walls and, and, and then probably hedging uh, occurring with them inadvertently. And the relics on Dartmoor called the Dartmoor Reeves. I definitely recommend a visit there to have a look for those. Um, and then uh, with the arrival of, of more formal uh, um, clearances and uh, the more clearances there were, the more edges there were. And then the use of hedgerows. If you look to the enclosures in between the 18th and 19th century, devastating time for people as their livelihoods were, were shattered thrown off the common land by uh, newly wealthy people uh, um, who had made their money um, off, off slavery. It was a fantastic time to be alive if you were rich middle class and didn't have a conscience. Um, but for anybody else, it was, was shocking and you ended up being uh, turfed off uh, the common land where you would once have, have, have made your living and into the newly forming cities and sucked into the machine of the Industrial Revolution. Um, I, I was interviewed by um, uh, Patrick Barkham of The Guardian for a piece about hedgehogs, and it was one of those moments when you don't necessarily expect the journalist to quote you precisely. And he was asking me about when was peak hedgehog. And um, so I, was, I went off on a little flight of fancy and imagining um, that as, as, um, as you know, the enclosures kicked in and John Clare, you know, one of our nation's favourite poets, was being sent mad. Um, the hedgehogs were dancing around the place going, yippity fuckity do. And um, it was only when my mother, who I'd alerted to the facts that this uh, I was going to be in the paper, um, um, sort of phoned me up and said, well, did you have to speak quite like that? I had no idea he was going to put that in. Anyway, um, so yes, I, I, so hedge, yeah, the hedgerow is, is a crucial place. Uh, it acts as a corridor through the landscape because uh, they will go to the edge. That is their preferred place. You have a big room. Stick a hedgehog in the middle of a gymnasium. It will go to the edge, walk around the edge until it can find a way out. 
I have to say that is very relatable. I was very much like that in PE. Um, <laughs> but on a more personal note, what projects have you done and what was the most enjoyable? Ah, oh, I've done less field work with hedgehogs than it might appear, but I spent a lot of time helping other people do field work. Um, I, I have enjoyed the field work. I mean, when my first work on hedgehogs was back in the mid 1980s up in Orkney. Uh, so I was doing my degree and uh, Leicester Polytechnic. And uh, there was an opportunity for one of your, your third, you know, third year projects. And most people were choosing to do quite trivial things quite nearby for obvious reasons. A, it was much simpler. And B, you then didn't spend your entire summer holidays on a small island uh, inhabited by a vast number of alcoholics. And um, But I ended up going to North Ronaldsey, the, the most northerly of the Orkneys, where in the uh, mid-1970s, the postman had brought a couple of hedgehogs onto the island. There had been none there before. This island's five miles long, uh, very flat, mile wide. Um, and, and it is an amazing space for, for ornithologists. The bird observatory is fantastic. Um, and there was a thought that increased sightings of hedgehogs and the coincidental decrease in the breeding success of many ground nesting birds may have been related. And so I went up there to do essentially how many hedgehogs were there? Was there an obvious impact? And it was a really fascinating induction into the world of of research, doing a a practical problem. Um, But then radio tracking hedgehogs around Devon. I mean, it's um, admittedly every night it felt that it rained, but it didn't. It wasn't every night. And I was living in a small caravan, um, which was especially had, you know, you, you know, some things have draft excluders. This had draft includers. It was fantastic. None of the windows shut properly. I had a small gas thingy for all my needs and a field for the toilet. It was, it was a brutal life, but it was fun. It was my, I had to name all my hedgehogs because you get quite lonely when you're out. Um, but uh, if Jane Goodall named the chimpanzees, I can't see why I can't name my hedgehogs. Um, so actually, yes, again, I think radio tracking the hedgehogs in Devon, because that was the springboard for basically everything else I've done since then. Because from there, the editor of the BBC Wildlife magazine came and spent a, um, a night out with me. And she asked me to write a feature for the BBC Wildlife magazine. And, and, and that got me writing, essentially, in the end, up writing books uh, because of her encouragement to do that work. That's really brilliant. Um, I, you know, I'd love to write a book one day, but I don't think I have the patience or the knowledge yet. But maybe one day um, when I've acquired a bit more of both, I can sit down and do one. Um, but speaking about knowledge uh, accumulation, is there anything else you'd like to know about hedgehogs? Are there any unanswered questions? Oh, well, we have at the Hedgehog Street Campaign an entire document looking at all of the questions we want answered. <laughs> um, I think... One of the things I would love to see more of is the application of sort of rigorous science to the hedgehog caring world. So there are on the British Hedgehog Preservation Society's books um, around 600 um, care, well, sorry, books. There's a list. Uh, we, we haven't vetted them. We don't know what they're like. We have anecdotal evidence for some of them. And some of them obviously are our friends and we know. But, um, so, and some of them are, are, are batshit crazy. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we have, there is a very wide um, difference of, of skill sets uh, involved in people doing hedgehog rescues. And you know, 600 different groups of people doing it out there. You would expect that to be the case. What I would love is for a real effort to be made to identify um, best practice. Uh, what actually works 
and how best to apply it. What are the best things to feed hedgehogs, to medicate hedgehogs with? When to actually intervene and bring hedgehogs into care? What are the true costs to hedgehogs of coming into care versus being left out in the wild? Um, you know, there are some people who are possibly over-enthusiastic about bringing hedgehogs in, the jolly jabbers who want to have a hedgehog to hold and look after, and it's understandable. Um, but it may be that that's not the best interest of the hedgehogs being looked after then. It may be uh, that the levels of stress which they face, the levels of exposure to other um, um, diseases by being in the company of a bunch of other hedgehogs. When you've got an animal which is used to walking two kilometers a night, kept in a pet box for a month or two, you know, there's going to be an all sorts of levels of stress attached to that. Um, that's not to say that you know, hedgehog rescues don't do an important job, and they certainly do. But what I'd love to see is a lot of effort put into identifying um, best practice. And once we're at that point, then I'd like to see uh, licensing brought in so that hedgehog rescues have to follow a certain set of uh, predetermined uh, um, actions and, and only if they meet a certain set of quality uh, controls. Do you know, I didn't actually realise there wasn't any licensing for hedgehogs. No, and it's a really, I mean, I've, I was in um, the Netherlands, um, gosh, now two years ago, well, 20, 2019, uh, end of 2019, doing the, they had the year of the hedgehog again. So um, they get me over to come and, and perform for them. And um, it's great fun. But they've now, since I was last there, they've introduced um, legislation so that, that hedgehogs, uh, so hedgehog, that, that rescues have to be, all wildlife rescues have to be licensed. And, and similarly in Denmark, another a colleague of mine who's just moved to Oxford, in fact, um, Sophie Lund Rasmussen, she looked at what was happening there and just worked with government and just said, you know, we should introduce some sort of uh, licensing. Um, that is not to say that there aren't individuals doing amazing work. It's just that there are some who aren't, and it would be we need to weed them out. Um, it brings the rest into disrepute if you if you um, um, still have them um, in act, acting their work, acting out in an inappropriate way. So, what should you do if you find an injured hedgehog? Should you try and help it yourself, or is it better to just ring somebody else up straight away? Oh, well, I mean, uh, both, because um, if you ring somebody up, uh, by the time you come back to the hedgehog, it'll have gone probably. Um, so it's, it's how do you identify whether you've got a hedgehog in need is the first thing. I mean, in all of these things, I'd first of all go to the British Hedgehog Preservation Society website. Um, they're very easy to find using any search engine um, at your disposal. Um, and they have got a phone number right at the top of the website, and that will give you uh, access to somebody to speak to or out of office hours and answer phone, which will essentially give you regional contacts, which will then give you local contacts. So it's a bit of a phone tree setup. Um, if you see a hedgehog out in daytime looking pissed, as in drunk, I should say, um, in case of international audience. Uh, my, my daughter is, is watching so much American TV. Um, she's now started using the word being pissed as being angry. And I, I've been, I'm really pissed and I'm going, you shouldn't be. Um, but anyway, it turns out that she meant angry. But anyway, um, if you see a drunk hedgehog, um, they, they tend not to, to drink alcohol. And uh, it means that they've got hypothermia. And if they're out in daytime and they look like they're sunbathing, they've got hypothermia too. Um, so intervene. Pick it up and put it in a box. Uh, keep it warm, keep it quiet. Um, wrap it up in, in, in an old towel you're happy to wash to high temperature. Create a hot water bottle for it using a plastic bottle. Uh, with filled with warm water, a um, um, little saucer um, or a jam jar lid of, of meaty pet food or cat food or, or and, and some water um, and, and keep it warm and quiet. Put a lid on it in case they get feisty and try and escape. Because if they do, um, you see the wardrobe you've got behind you? Yeah. 
they will get underneath that and behind. <laughs> okay, that's just absolute guarantee. That's what will happen. And then you'll have to shift everything out of the wardrobe to move the wardrobe to rescue the hedgehog. So put a lid on the hedgehog, um, and and then call the hedgehog society. Or if if you live in an area where there are hedgehogs, why not just make a, take a moment to familiarise yourself? Find who your local rescue is. Um, you know, there's the Gower Bird Hospital is fantastic. I mean, I don't know if that's your closest, but it's a very good one. Um, it's Paul Allen who runs that. I can't remember. Anyway, but they're very good. Um, and so so find out who your local one is and just have a note up on, uh, by, by where the, I was going to say, where the telephone is, but who has that anymore? <laughs> Put it in your phone. <laughs> Don't write a piece of paper, put it on the wall. Um, so the, uh, yes, uh, that's the um, uh, best thing. Yeah, in, do intervene. But if you've got a hedgehog, say there's been a sudden thunderstorm uh, during the day and you see a hedgehog walking from one side of your garden to the other, looking businesslike, <laughs> just leave it be. Because it's probably had its nest site disturbed and it's moving to another one. Yeah, so if, it, if it's looking business-like, let it be. If it's looking wobbly, if it's got any flies around it, that means it's very, very, very in need of assistance because uh, the flies will lay eggs on a vulnerable hedgehog um, and, and then the eggs hatch into little maggots and then the maggots eat the hedgehog alive. Oh my gosh, that is horrible. Um, maybe on a more positive note, um, where did your love for hedgehogs start? Uh, was it inspired by somebody throughout your career in conservation or has it come from somewhere else? Oh, well, it was not switching to hedgehogs. Um, I have a, um, I have three, my f- three first crushes. Okay. You've got to bear with me with this. First one was actually, um, if you remember the, the Disney, uh, cartoon of, uh, Robin Hood. Oh my gosh. No, I fully fancied the cartoon fox from Robin Hood. So I'm <laughs> not going to judge you. Don't worry. Oh my God. Okay. Made Marion for me. That's out, made Marion. And I was, oh, and it was interesting. At the time, I didn't know what it was, but it was, you know, later I was going, oh, I know what that feeling was. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, first of all, it was, it, it was, it was made Marion. Um, and uh, then it was Kate Bush. Um, and, and because why not? And, and uh, then it was Jane Goodall and, uh, you know, her work on chimpanzees. And so what, um, before I got involved even in hedgehogs, I was very interested in the idea of working with a species and then telling stories about the species, which help you understand it, but also help protect it. And so her writing, her communication um, around conservation um, was, was absolutely pivotal for me. Interestingly, there was another, um, there's an academic called uh, David McDonald, uh, Professor uh, David McDonald at um, the University of Oxford. And he wrote a book called Running with the Fox which is essentially his PhD thesis on, on fox behavior and ecology written into a book. And he did the same thing, which he made a really engaging book, a story about you know, important work, looking at fox behavior, looking at the fact uh, you know, that, we, that you, people thought of foxes essentially as very solitary, but actually there was some degree of cooperation. Um, and um, again, that, that really stuck there. That was kind of what drove me forwards. As for the hedgehog, it was the fact that I got the opportunity in you know, when I was 19 to go off to, um, uh, yes, 19 was even 18, to go up to Orkney to go and look at uh, these hedgehogs. And then because I was interested in it, because it was a real thing, I just did a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Um, and then Dr. Pat Morris, who, who's the godfather of the British hedgehog, um, is retired now, an amazing, amazing man, uh, recruited me to do the work radio tracking hedgehogs in Devon, which, and that tipped me over the line from just being 
sort of engaged with the species to, well, I mean, you know, um, every everything you could imagine that can have a hedgehog on it, I've been given at some point or other. <laughs> That's really brilliant. I love that. It's definitely perks of the job. Um, but I think I'm going to have to end the interview here. So thank you so, so much. You've been really, really brilliant. One final thing. Uh, where can people reach you if they want to get in touch? At Hedgehog Hugh on most social media things. You see, I do that because it's you know, a bit of an alliteration. It's quite simple, quite easy to remember. At Hedgehog Hugh. But I do other stuff too. That's kind of <laughs> how I've got to do it. Maybe I need to extend it. Um, I'm currently writing a book about beavers. And then I've been commissioned to write a book about otters. And I wrote a book, um, uh, this one here, Linescapes, which is all about habitat fragmentation. And I've written a book about the uh, all of the um, 15 other people a bit like me. Um, and you know, in the past, you know, written reports on genetically modified crops and indoor air pollution. I I have a wide range of interests all nestled around um, environmental, social justice and wildlife. Um, but yes, at Hedgehog, or my website, hewarwick.com. There we go. That was, that was, that was one of those times. It's available. I'll take that. Um, it's, not, it's not very up to date, but it's a, there's a contact form in there. Very happy. If you've got any questions, um, do pop them across to me. Um, and uh, um, the, the stuff on Twitter is normally fairly on message, but occasionally becomes a little eccentric. But that's the way social media should be. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this chat. That's a pleasure, Katie. And I really look forward to uh, to many more of these podcasts. Thank you so much. Uh, well, this is the first of hopefully many. I mean, this went, this went great. So if they all go like this, then there definitely will be many. So fingers crossed. So thank you again for that wonderful hedgehog chat. That was Hugh Warwick. Okay, so Sam, how did you find that? Hugh is such an interesting guy, isn't he? Yeah. He can, wow, he's an, an entertaining man as well. He's great, yeah. What a fantastic first interview. I'm glad we had him on. Yeah, great start to the podcast. Yeah, so was there anything that you picked up on, you know, picked up from that conversation that you thought was interesting? Well, I think it's definitely a priority that hedgehogs will move from Schedule 6 to Schedule 5. Is that um, about protection? I actually don't, don't know what the difference is between the two. Well, Schedule 6 means that animals are protected from being killed or taken by certain methods under the Wildlife and Countryside Act. Yeah. But Schedule 5 means that you can't intentionally kill, injure or take a species and you also can't keep them as pets or trade with them, which you must be able to do with hedgehogs at the moment. Yeah, that's actually quite a big difference, isn't it? Because that means that you can legally keep a hedgehog as a pet and also... Does that mean you can legally... um, I don't know. I mean, obviously you can't kill them under Schedule 6, but I guess... I don't know, I guess it's just not it's not strict enough protection, really, is it, if you want to... No, and if we want to see a resurgence of this species, we we do need to see that changing of schedules. Um... I'm feeling quite smug though. Hugh mentioned that hedgehog highways were quite important and um, that is something I've installed in our fences, in our garden, my parents' house. Yeah, I haven't actually... I mean, I've been thinking of doing it at mine, but we've got um, concrete walls around the side, so unless I drilled a hole through... You're going to need a big drill, aren't you? Yeah, (laughs) but then if it's um, a supporting wall, I might actually get in a lot of trouble by my father... If I let the wall fall down <laughs> to build a hedgehog highway, but then if it falls down, I guess that's just the biggest hedgehog highway, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> I think I think he would be proud of you. Yeah, I think that's a win-win. Something else I picked up on as well actually was um, when he spoke about seeing a hedgehog out in daylight, 
And he said that if you see a drunk-looking hedgehog, that means they've got hypothermia. I didn't yeah. realise they had they could get hypothermia. Well, I did see, and uh, I, I think I've seen this on maybe, like, The One Show or something, but you are supposed to give them a little hot water bottle or a warm water bottle. Um, yeah. They're probably a bit too receptive to the, to a hot water bottle, <laughs> um, the poor little hogs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you're taking them to the the hedgehog hospital, always keep them warm. I didn't know you were supposed to give them a bottle of warm water. I, I, I mean, if I saw one out in the world, I definitely would have forgotten. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even have known to do that, so I'm glad that I do now. Um, also, it made me laugh when he said that if they're looking business-like, then you've got to just leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the wolf of Wall Street hedgehog, just leave them alone. Because um, he said it's probably because they've had their nest disturbed. But I think if I just I think if I saw a hedgehog out in the daytime, I would automatically assume that it was unwell, and I'd probably try and go and pick it up or something. So I feel like I'm very I'm very glad that I know that now because I can just leave it alone. Yeah. Katie, we can't finish this episode without with, with brushing over the fact that you fancied a cartoon fox what's he got on me oh come on so that was a childhood crush and also i think a lot of people would agree with me he is a very fetching fox okay he he is a hero sam he takes from the rich and he gives to the poor and he's just very handsome <laughs> well, i concede yeah okay well i think that's all we've got time for before Um, your jealousy over a cartoon fox continues so thank you so much for listening to our podcast yes thank you for tuning in hopefully we'll have uh, loads more to come but this is a good first start i'm proud of us we look forward to you tuning in next time bye